Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. So coming up on December 9th is our second annual Pitch Festivus and Holiday Party. This is an amazing online pitching event. We're going to have seven different members of the Jacob Kruger Studio faculty here. We are going to be sharing some of our very best pitching tips. There's going to be opportunities to connect with our community. And most exciting of all, we're having a little pitch contest where we are going to be randomly picking attendees who wish to pitch and giving them a chance to pitch their scripts, get some helpful feedback, and compete for a chance to win a one-on-one pitch consultation with me worth 1500 bucks. So it's going to be awesome. It's a totally free event. You can find out about it in the link below, or you can uh, go to writeyourscreenplay.com slash Festivus. And with that in mind, I thought it might be helpful to give you guys some information about how do you do a quick pitch? How do you do an elevator pitch? How do you do a pitch for a contest or festival? And it's important to understand that this is different from a professional pitch, and this is different from the kind of pitch that you do at a party. In other words, this is different from the kind of pitch that you actually do in the screenwriting business. Because in the screenwriting business, there is no such thing as the elevator pitch. The elevator pitch is a giant myth. If you haven't heard the term, the elevator pitch means the idea, right, is that like if you were to bump into Martin Scorsese in an elevator and he hits floor 14 and you're on floor one, you now have 14 floors to pitch him your project. This is your only opportunity. And if those doors open, you're screwed. And that's not the way it works in the real world. Um, In the real world, of course, you want a nice quick pitch that you can kind of share with anyone. Uh, But no one's going to like cut you off in the middle of your pitch. No one's going to be like, sorry, that was two minutes and three seconds. It's just too long, right? No, your pitch is basically really the length that you can hold a person's attention. But when you're competing in a contest, uh, and there are lots of pitch contests, lots of pitch slams, there are lots of pitch opportunities where there is this kind of added pressure of the clock. So I want to talk to you about how to deal with that pressure, how to prepare yourself for that pressure, and, and how to be really good with your pitch when you are pitching for a contest or festival uh, like ours. So here's the first thing you should know. Do not rush. Take your time. Slow down. A minute and a half, two minutes, two and a half minutes, whatever the time is, that's a lot of time. Even 30 seconds is a lot of time. Even 10 seconds. I'm going to just give you 10 seconds right now. actually a lot of time, right? That's more time than you would think when you actually listen to what that dead space sounds like. And far too many well-intentioned screenwriters end up rocketing through their pitch so quickly that the person listening can't even pick up what the pitch 
is. So the first thing is you, you want to kind of focus on what, what's the purpose of your pitch? Why are you actually pitching? Well, in the normal world, the only purpose of your pitch is to get somebody to say, yes, I would like to read this. In, in the real world, unless your name is Sorkin, nobody is going to buy your idea off a pitch. They want to see the execution. So the real purpose of the pitch is to open the door. Yeah, I'd like to read that. Or, yeah, you know what? I would pass that on to my friend. Oh, you know what? That sounds awesome. I would like to help you. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd like to read the script and maybe consider helping with financing or helping with casting or helping with anything. So the real purpose of the pitch is simply to open the door. Um, that's the real world. In the contest world, there's an extra level of pressure, which is the purpose of the pitch is to win. And I would like to suggest that if you are focused on winning, then you're probably not focused on pitching. Because here's the thing about pitching. All pitching is personal. All pitching is emotional. All pitching is about a connection. And I've been on enough pitch contest panels to know that sometimes the person who wins is not the perfect person with the perfect pitch. Sometimes the person who wins is the person who just really connected with a couple of the judges, right? Who just really connected in a way where somebody is in that room going, no, it has to be them. Um, it's the personal connection that does it. And you can't make a personal connection zooming through your pitch at 500 miles an hour. In fact, I would recommend not launching directly into your pitch. Because when a person decides to move forward with your project, they're not just choosing the project, they're also choosing you. In fact, often in pitching, the most common answer that you're going to hear is either, yeah, that's not for us, or actually we have something similar in development. The most common thing you're going to hear is not we want to buy it or we want to read it, but what else have you got? And the way you get to the what else have you got is by helping people connect to you, where even if they don't like the idea, they like the person pitching it. They think you're interesting. They're curious about you. It seems like maybe you know what you're doing. It seems like maybe you've got something to say. It feels like maybe you're a person they would like to spend some time developing things with. So if you just rush into your pitch, you're destroying all that personal connection. And you're taking something that should be organic and comfortable and you're making it weird, right? Imagine if you walked into a bar and you, you sit down at the bar and the person next to you goes, hey, how are you doing? And you go, when an American football coach takes over a soccer team in London, Dude is going to look at you like, what? Who are you? What's going on? Right? It creates an alienation feeling. And yet I've seen so many people just launch into their like sales pitch uh, in real life and in contests without ever bothering to build a connection. My belief is that all pitching is personal. So I would like to recommend that rather than just launching into a sales pitch, start by talking about yourself. And don't go on for hours about yourself. Go on for 10 to 15 seconds about yourself, 30 seconds about yourself. Share something true about yourself. 
something that shows a little little bit of vulnerability, right? This is not the time to show TMI, right? I'm almost over my drug problem and, uh, you know, I'm doing much better now that I'm out of prison, right? No, this is not the time for that. But this might be the time for saying like, hey, when I was young, this thing happened to me. Hey, I grew up in this place and this beautiful or terrible thing happened in this place. It changed my life forever. Hey, I come from this kind of family and we had this really unusual experience. Hey, I always dreamed of a life like this and instead my life turned out like that, right? Sharing something real and specific and true. I'm Jacob Kruger. This is who I am. Something specific that shows who you are and then transitioning to why you're writing the project. So if you start there, people connect to you. So let's say I was going to pitch this podcast, right? If uh, if I started off by going, the Write Your Screenplay podcast is a podcast where instead of looking at what's good or bad about movies, we look about what we can learn from them. You're probably going to be like, okay. Whereas if I start and I go like, so I'm Jacob Kruger. I was a screenwriter for many years and uh, in a wonderful confluence of events, I, I stumbled into teaching. A and in the process of teaching, I realized that the way that people look at movies and the role that reviewers tend to play in movies is actually counterintuitive to actually what screenwriters need to learn about movies. Critics teach us to judge movies, right? They're good or they're bad. They're successful or they're unsuccessful. And when critics do this, what they're actually doing is they're teaching us to judge our own projects, to think of our projects as good or bad, to think about it, liked it, two thumbs up, two thumbs down. When really, as a person who spent a lifetime developing projects, I believe that any project can be made good. And I believe that the real job of a reviewer is to help the audience understand what the project means, what the writers were going for, what the project says, and hopefully, if they're screenwriters, how to actually develop the project, how to actually learn from it. Not whether it was good or bad, right? But what they can take from it and how they can apply that to their own writing. Do you see the difference when I share just that little tiny bit of person, personal stuff? Suddenly, even if you knew nothing about the podcast, you start to understand me. Or I might tell a different personal story. I might say, so... I went through a period of my life at the height of my career where I suddenly found myself blocked, where this thing that had been core to who I was, being a screenwriter, being a person in touch with my instrument, suddenly became lost to me. And it was devastating. I wasn't the kind of procrastinator who was off traveling the universe having a good time. I was the kind of procrastinator who was literally sitting in front of an empty laptop, a blank screen, unable to type. 
And that block almost destroyed my career. But I was fortunate enough to have some really wonderful mentors and some really wonderful friends and to develop some skills and some techniques that brought me out of that. You see, I just shared something real about myself. That's 100% true, that story. And hopefully it allowed you to connect with me a little bit. So when I start to talk about why I wrote a podcast that was designed to help writers get out of that critical space and into that connected space, to get past the intellect and the inner sensor and all the things that lead to writer's block, whether it's I can't write or whether it's my writing is flat, and instead to actually realize how wide open you can be and how how freely you can write. You can see by telling that story, you already know that I'm the right person to, to share this podcast with you. And if you didn't connect to that story, then great. That just means you're not my people, right? You're, you're probably not going to enjoy this podcast anyway because I just shared something real about myself that's part of who I am that was not uh, connected for you. So if you start your pitch just with some personal thing, something that is true, not the one thing that I always start off by telling the story, but the real thing, um, and then you make the transition to the script, what will happen is the, re- the listener will start to have a connection to you. They'll start to care about you as a person, and they'll be much more invested. They'll also start to imagine all kinds of things. So you can see by telling you those two different stories— Even if I didn't share anything about how the podcast works, what the format is, right? You would start to go, oh, I kind of get it. I kind of understand. I can see, I can imagine just based on this, I know that this podcast is probably designed to help writers with writer's block. I imagine that I'm probably going to learn some of those things that Jake's mentors shared with him. I'm probably going to learn some of the tools that he developed himself, right? Just by sharing that, you start to make some guesses about the project. And you start to understand why I'm not just somebody trying to sell you something. I'm trying to share something with you that matters to me. That I'm not just another writer throwing crap against the wall to see if it sells, but rather I'm somebody bearing my soul to you. And by the way, that doesn't have to be serious. That can be funny. That can be goofy. That can be dramatic. That can be thriller. That can be horror, right? But sharing that one true thing that connects you to the piece helps people understand why this piece actually matters. So start by sharing something about yourself. The next thing that you should think about is there's not just one way to pitch your script. There are lots of different ways. Um, And you want your pitch to feel personalized to whoever you are pitching it to. So please, for the love of God, do not do one of these. When a man finds out, blah, 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 right? Do not read your pitch. Don't read your pitch. When you read your pitch, you are actually sending a subconscious message to the person listening going, this is not special for you. This is exactly what I say to everyone. So go ahead and tune out because I'm not even connected. Also, when I read my pitch, I am implying to you that I don't really know my story. 
Did I have to reference a cheat sheet to even remember what I wrote to you? I'm showing you a sign of my lack of confidence rather than the sign of my confidence in what I've written. The truth of the matter is if your script is even close to being ready to pitch, then you know it inside and out and upside down and backwards. You've rewritten it 52 times. You know what it is at the core. So all you really have to do is tell the truth. The next element is don't get hung up in all the details. If your script is well-structured, then there's a simple unified story tying it all together. So focus on the simple. Focus on what matters most without getting bogged down on all the little elements. What is the most alarming thing? What is the most exciting thing? And, and usually that's going to be some combination of who is the character? Who is this piece about? What connects you to them? What do they like? What's interesting about them to you? What do they want? What's the really hard thing that they're trying to accomplish? What makes that matter? What, make, what do they want? What's the really hard thing they're trying to accomplish? And what makes that matter? What is their, what is the obstacle? What stands in the way? What makes it hard? And what are the ironic choices and the ironic consequences that occur for them as they pursue their journey? So that's the next element. And you should practice this in lots and lots and lots of different ways. Pitch your script to lots of different people, but never pitch it the same way twice. And what that does is it allows you to be present in the moment rather than reciting something from memory. It allows you to read the person's eyes. Instead of being in your head going, what's the next line? It allows you to be present with the person in front of you. If you're pitching a panel, either pick someone whose eyes you find kindly and make eye contact with them, or practice looking from one person to the next. If you're online, pick the person in the room who seems most enamored with your work and just look at them the whole darn time. And what that will do is it will create a feeling of connection and you can then read their face. If they look confused, then slow down. You can deepen. They look bored. <sighs> okay, you got to change your pace. You got to shake things up. You got to get on to the next thing. If they look riveted, you want to keep going down that road. If they look like they want to say something, then you can take a breath and allow them to speak. And as you start to read their eyes, you'll start to realize, ah, that was the same reaction I had when I pitched this person. I'm going to go down that road. Or you know what? When I'm pitching this kind of person, this start never works. I'm going to go with that start, right? I'm going to amplify this different element. So when you're pitching your piece, you might amplify world for one person where, let's say, we're pitching Westworld, right? And it might just be something as simple as it's this extraordinary world. So I might start off telling a story. When I was a child, I had this stuffed animal that I kind of used to express the parts of myself that I was afraid to share. 
I was like a really, really, really good kid. So this stuffed animal was like a really, really bad stuffed animal, right? He was like, he was, he was fucked up, right? He was, he was a little bit nuts, right? He was rebellious. He didn't listen to people. He did all the things, you know, the things that you think are really bad when you're five years old, like pollution. He was really into pollution. Now, this is a hundred percent true story I'm sharing with you right now, right? Um, I really did have such a stuffed animal and I really did imagine that he was like into bad stuff like that, you know, the stuff I don't normally do. And, you know, it wasn't until I started studying Jung, until I studied, started studying concepts like the bicameral mind, I started to realize that what I was doing with the kid, this little game with my stuffed animal, was actually an expression of the shadow self. And I didn't really write Westworld, but let's pretend I did. And I started to think about what comes out in us when we think we are free to play, when we think that there are no consequences to our actions. So you see, I just made the transition to Westworld and I've told you nothing about Westworld, but hopefully you are compelled by me already, right? You are compelled and you know I'm telling you the story for a reason. And you see, I dropped in the bicameral mind thing that Westworld was really about. And I let you know that I understand psychology, but really I just started with a real story that I just found right now. I Truth is I wanted to find a fake story and then I realized that would be lying to you. So I showed you something real. And I'm making the transition now to Westworld. So I might say something like, so this is about a world where, where rich people can go and experience the world of the Wild West. And all the inhabitants of this world, they look like real people, they feel like real people, they interact like real people, they have emotions like real people, but they are actually advanced cyborgs. They're robots. They're robots that don't know they are robots. They are robots that don't know they are acting out a pattern. And in Westworld, what happens is, in this world where you can shoot somebody and nothing matters, they'll just be brought back to life the next day because they're just a robot. Where you can fall in love, but you can also rape. Where None of your actions have any consequences, even though all the feelings, the emotions, even the physical hurt is real, but the consequences don't exist. How does that play actually bring out both the beautiful shadow and the dark shadow of the people who come to play here? So you see, I just pitched you Westworld. I left out like 10,000 elements of Westworld, but you now know what the hook is. And I did it in a couple minutes. And at this point, someone's either going to go, tell me more, or they're going to say, you know what, this is not for me. And either answer is great for you. The it's not for me answer lets you go, okay, well, what are you looking for? And the, art, the tell me more answer means that they're interested. That's an example of a short pitch that just focuses on world. There's another version of that short pitch where I can tell the exact same story and say, what I realized was that I was projecting, was projecting myself onto this stuffed animal as if I were God. And 
I started to think, what if, what if that stuffed animal wasn't just a stuffed animal? What if that stuffed animal had the perceptions of a real person? And so this is a story about a robot who believes she's a woman, a cyborg who doesn't know that she's an attraction at a theme park where rich people come to interact with characters from the Wild West, characters that are actually robots, but robots who don't know that they are robots, robots who are acting out the same patterns again and again and again and again. And she doesn't realize that she is acting out the same pattern again and again, that every day she greets her father, that every day she drops her can of beans that the handsome young gentleman picks up for her, that every day a really dark and twisted guest shows up, rapes her, tortures her, ruins her life, only for everything to reset again the following day. And this is a story about what happens when that robot starts to believe that she has free will, starts to make choices that lead her from being the sweet girl next door that the horrible thing happens to, into a murderer, a killer, a creature of violence that will ride, that will allow the other robots to rise up around her and overthrow the forces that are oppressing her. And central to this piece is the question, is she actually arriving at free will? Or is this also a part of the attraction? Is this also a part of her programming? In other words, are we actually built out of nature or nurture. So you can see that's me telling the exact same story except from the point of view of one character. But I could also tell the same exact story from the point of view of the man in black. This is a story about the nicest guy to ever show up at this park. A guy who the last thing he wants to do is go shoot a bunch of people who think they're people even though they're robots. The last thing he wants to do is go rape someone. The last thing he wants to do is fall in love. The last thing he wants to do is to be part of what he sees as a sick venture because he is a kind person. But what happens for, the, for this young man is that he actually does fall in love. He falls in love with a creature that is not capable of loving him back, even though she believes she does. Because she is not human. And this is a story about his, how his desire for love transforms him, transforms her, transforms the whole world. Similarly, this is a story about the man in black, a twisted man who is trying to solve a puzzle in this world that we do not understand, a puzzle that is rooted in violence, that is rooted in the darkness of his own soul. And it's a story about the, how these two characters come together. The odd connection, the connection that no one would ever expect that connects both the kindest and the worst person in this world. Asking the question of, do we actually have any control over our destiny or are we predetermined to become something that we want to be or something that we don't? 
So you can see I can pitch this same piece a million different ways. And I should practice. I can pitch a character. I can pitch a world. I can pitch a different character. I can pitch the structure of the piece. I can pitch the way the, the time periods don't match up. So I can pitch this piece in a thousand different ways. I can pitch it around the philosophy of the bicameral mind and the question of the man-god relationship, right? There are a million different ways I can pitch the same series. But you notice in each of these pitches, I just get really deep into one aspect. I don't try to hit all of them. And what I'm going to try to hit is the most alarming element for any one person. With a couple of twists, I'm going to try to find at least one or two levels of irony, at least one or two levels of deepening, at least one or two levels of, I bet you didn't see that coming, at least one or two levels of structure, right? I'm going to always try to have multiple levels to my pitch. So you get it? Well, it's cooler. Well, it's cooler than that. You got it? Well, check this out. Well, look at that, right? I'm always trying to get at least three levels of my pitch so that I can carry the person deep into the project. So personal story followed by a deep dive in a quick way into one element you find really cool with a couple of twists and reversals. The third element that I want you to focus on is if you get nervous, breathe. What most people do when they get nervous is they speed up. What most people do when they see someone's losing attention is they start to try to shove it down their throat. What most people do when they realize they're bombing is they keep talking. Breathe. Practice taking two breaths between each idea that you give. And what will happen as you breathe is that first off, you will calm yourself. You will get yourself out of fight flight and back into a meditative state where you're more in control of your ideas. And you'll also notice, did you notice in my breath that I actually pulled you in? The breath does not make you look nervous, even if you're feeling nervous. The breath makes you feel powerful makes you look powerful, makes you seem powerful, makes you seem like someone who can take their time. And because nature abhors a vacuum, when you force yourself to breathe, often the person you are pitching will ask you a question. And in that question, your pitch becomes so much easier because you're probably very unused to pitching but you're very used to when somebody goes, well, tell me more about your character. Oh, well, who is she? Well, what does she want? Oh, well, what happens next? Oh, well, what's her relationship with her mom like? Oh, well, where does it take place? Tell me more about, right? If I were to ask you those questions, pitching would be much easier. So when you breathe, you invite the audience, the listener, to ask you questions. And that makes pitching so much easier. On that note, if you're nervous about pitching and you struggle with pitching, instead of writing out your pitch, write out the questions you wish people would ask. And when you breathe, when you get nervous, you take a breath, see what question pops into your head and answer that question. If you can simply prompt yourself with questions, well, guess what? You already know the answer because you're pitching. 
It's your baby. It's your project. It's what you love. So if the if you don't know what to say, take a breath. Think about what question are they probably asking right now and then answer it. And what that will do is it will help propel you through the pitch. So let's get to feedback. You've gotten through your sweet little pitch. You've customized it for that person. You've read their eyes. You've connected. You've shared something about yourself. You've shared the core of what the piece, what makes the piece cool with a couple of extra levels, twists, complications. Now what's going to happen is you're likely to get some feedback. And your urge when you get feedback is often to get defensive. And you want to remember that Getting defensive is not going to be valuable for you because the real goal here is not to sell, it's to build a connection. It's not to make the sale, it's to get the I'd like to read this or to get to the next step. In a pitch contest, I, I've seen so many people who the, the, the judges actually like, but when they start to defend their piece, the judges end up turning on them, right? Because most likely the judges know better than you do. They're probably more experienced than you do. They're probably seeing flaws in your pitch. They're probably noticing as you pitch the problems that exist in your structure that you might not even be aware of yet. And while that might be hard in a contest, the good news is that if you can pay attention, you might learn some really powerful things that might be actually more valuable than getting a script into somebody's hands that isn't ready to be read yet. Particularly at Pitch Festivus, the focus is not on winning. The focus is on helping. So at our event, you are going to be surrounded by people whose only goal is to make you better. Um, and the truth is with us, even if you get defensive, we will be there for you and we will be helpful. Our goal is to help you. But on a lot of these contests, people are not necessarily teachers. So you want to think, okay, when I get feedback, I'm not going to fight the feedback. I'm going to be curious about it. I'm not going to try to diffuse the feedback. I'm going to get curious about it. And if the feedback isn't valuable, I'm going to go, okay. But I'm not going to go, well, actually, that's not the case. Well, oh, actually, there is an answer for that, right? Um, I'm not going to get defensive. What I'm going to do is get curious. And I'm going to try to respond to the comments. So let's say I just pitched Westworld and the person goes, well, you know, I don't think these multiple time periods are going to work, right? And your instincts are going to be like, of course they work, right? As opposed to going like, oh, well, what was your concern about them? And they go, well, you know, I just don't think we're going to know whether we're in the time, past or the present. And you go, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, because that was actually one of the biggest challenges that I had as I was working on the piece was to figure out how to differentiate the past and the present. And at first I was really trying. And then what I realized was that, that in our real world, in our real lives, we really struggled to differentiate between the past and the present, right? In our real lives, it's almost like the past and present are active all the time, right? Like we're dealing with something that happened a long time ago at the same time that we are dealing with things that happen in the present. And that the things that happened long ago actually affect the way we go about dealing with things in the present. And so ultimately what I did here was, again, I didn't really write Westworld, but ultimately what I did here, and it was complicated. I'm not going to be able to explain it all to you in a pitch, 
But ultimately what I did was I figured out ways that we at first will actually think we're watching the same story. And as each episode happens, we're going to start to recognize that there's a fragmentation happen, that, happening that we get curious about. And by the end, we're actually realizing kind of like, and now I'm going to give him a nice model, you know, kind of like in the usual suspects where suddenly you realized, oh my God, Kaiser Soze is actually uh, spinning a fiction, where you're going to have that same kind of revelation that everything you watched suddenly makes a different kind of sense to you. Um, and I know it might be seem challenging, uh, and it was challenging, but it actually works. Now you see that, that point that judge is probably like, wow, I actually am curious to see if he pulled that off. On the other hand, let's say I've never thought about this and I actually don't have a good answer. Well, I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not going to go, oh, that works. I'm going to go, wow, that is actually a really valuable amount of feedback. Uh, you know, I actually should have thought of that. And I really appreciate you pushing me in that way. I'm curious if I, if I were to solve that, would this be a piece that you were interested in reading? Or were there other problems with the piece that, that raised concerns for you? You see what I just did? I actually turned it around on them. And now they're going to basically tell me whether they really just didn't like the piece or whether solving their problem would actually help them. So let's say they go, well, you know, the truth is just not for me. I don't make cyborg movies and it sounds really not my kind of thing. Well, then I'm not going to take their note about past and present very seriously because it's not a show for them. Ah, you know, I don't like these intellectual kind of shows. I, by camera mind, you lost me there. Well, guess what? That's not my audience, right? I'm running Westworld. It's not my audience. Now, in my next pitch, I might find ways to deepen it to kind of hit the action elements a little harder when I'm pitching this kind of dude, right? But I'm not going to take their note very seriously. If they wouldn't even be interested in the movie if I solved their note, that means that's not a real note. Whereas if they go, well, yeah, if you solved it, then I'd be curious about it, then great. Or if they go, well, you know, maybe, but here's the other concern I have. Right? Now you actually understand what the real problem is. So the most important thing is you want to use your pitch as an opportunity to learn because most pitches don't sell in the real world and in pitch fest. But that doesn't mean you don't have an opportunity to build a relationship because the truth of the matter is everybody wants to be a mentor. Everybody wants to help you. So let's say the person goes, well, yeah, if you can solve that problem, I would take a look. You go, great. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. And now you just want to set up a next step. Hey, what, what would the next step be? Or let's say the person goes, hey, look, honestly, even if you solve that problem, it's really not for me. Well, then you can turn them into a mentor. You can go, hey, I totally get it. Not for you. But the script is really good. And it's like this movie and this movie and this show that made a lot of money for these people in the last couple of years. And so I know it's going to be successful for somebody. It's got a great role for this person, this person, and this person. If it was your piece, who would you bring it to? And you see what I just did? I just turned them into a mentor. That even though I didn't get the sale that I wanted or even the read that I wanted, I now have somebody who potentially might be in my corner 
Who can help me get to the next person? Who can help me turn my cold call into a, hey, this person said I should call. This is the value of that pitch. This is the same game you want to play if you're at a pitch fest, if you're at a contest, if you're one-on-one, if you're at a party. Um, What you're really trying to build, you don't need to win the contest. Sure, the prize is great. You don't need to win the contest. What you really need is you need to build connections with those people on the panel who can help you. You need to get the interest, build the community, build the network where you can reach out. And most importantly, you need to learn how to make yourself a better writer. And that is the real goal of pitching. That's the real goal of Pitch Festivus. And that's the real goal of this podcast. So I hope that this podcast was helpful. I hope to see you at Pitch Festivus, December 9th, writeyourscreenplay.com slash Festivus. And happy writing. <laughs>